Hello, and welcome to this edition of Two Worlds, One Country. I'm your host, Anthony Flacaveno, and this is the program where we explore the underlying causes of the rural-urban divide, sometimes other divides. we got plenty of them to choose from. And then we talk to folks who are working on or have already successfully worked on different approaches to whittling away at that divide. And today's guest is one such example of somebody who took steps and proved that it's possible to move people that you think can't be moved. I'm very delighted to have on Two Worlds, One Country today, Thomas Bates. Thomas is with a firm called Insight Strategic Partners. And he's based out of southern Idaho. Now, I've gotten to know Thomas a little bit, all from afar, like like all good relationships these days. We've never actually met in person, but we've seen each other on Zoom a fair number of times. And we're going to be talking about a very interesting uh, kind of experiment he launched about 15 years ago that that will help wrap up this third segment of our three-part series on Ruby's Community Works Initiative. So with that lengthy introduction, Thomas, welcome to Two Worlds, One Country. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So why don't you start with a little bit about yourself? Your background's kind of diverse, but give us give us the highlights. Well, I mostly grew up in Arkansas and uh, ended up in college in North Carolina. Started my political career at the age of 17 as a volunteer after high school basketball practice at the Clinton Gore National Campaign Headquarters, which were about 10 minutes from my house. And I was uh, a volunteer there running the Bill Clinton auto pen machine that where you would put a felt tip pen into the into a machine and sign his name thousands of times and ended as the gopher in the war room uh, as a lucky 17-year-old volunteer for the last few weeks of the campaign. And and that was a formative political experience so that when I went to college in in North Carolina, I ended up having a professor who had been a member of Congress who had been Hmm. wiped out in the 1994 Republican Revolution as a Southern Democrat. The Newt Gingrich Gingrich Revolution, yeah. Yeah. Right. So you saw a lot of a lot of these Southern Democrats get wiped out in 94. He came back to his previous job as a college professor. He was my teacher when he was recruited to run again in 1996. So I worked on his campaign as his student. And then when I graduated from college, I went up to D.C. He won, uh, reclaimed a seat. I worked for him for four years in D.C. and back in North Carolina during the campaigns then left D.C. to go to law school in New York, became a corporate lawyer for a cup of coffee and quit my job as a lawyer in the Bay Area to start what became Democrats Work, the nonprofit service organization that we'll talk about, uh, which I did for several years and then went to run all the voter registration work and civic engagement for Rock the Vote for several years and then a wild turn, became a federal prosecutor, probably the first ever person to go from rock the vote to being a a federal prosecutor, and uh, now have been working as a consultant for government relations and public affairs, splitting my time in Seattle and Idaho. Wow, wow. That's incredible. That is an amazing. I didn't know several of those things about you. That's something. I'm, I'm thinking that had you been a federal prosecutor under Trump, 
you would have probably locked people up who were trying to get the vote, to, to rock the vote. So <laughs> quite an interesting little irony there. Cool. So Democrats work. That is really what you did that first put you on on my radar screen, and you became a really important part as we thought through what became community work. Before you get into the details of it, let's start with why you started. Like, what what was the impetus or what was the rationale that you thought something else is needed and I think it's going to look something like this? Oh, oh, and also the time frame. Tell us the time frame. So when I was in college in the mid-90s, I read a book uh, called Who Will Tell the People by Bill Greider. And in that book, there is an anecdote about the DNC in the late 80s the Democratic National Committee, and a guy named Mike McCurry, who later became Bill Clinton's press secretary, had gone to his colleagues at the DNC, he was working there at the time, and said, what if we turned the Democratic Party into a year-round service organization? And the response from his colleagues at the DNC at the time was essentially, what do bake sales have to do with winning elections? And it was a short vignette in this book that I read and my roommate read at the time. And we thought it probably has a lot to do with winning elections and could be a new approach to politics, particularly as we had just gone through this wipeout of Democrats in the South that we needed people to see the Democrats not as Bill and Hillary Clinton in Washington, D.C., but the neighbor down the street that lines my kid's soccer field every Saturday. And so this and idea this, this idea actually was brewing for uh, a decade or so before you put it into practice. It, it was indeed. When I was in law school, I started doing some of these service projects with the law school Democrats mm. uh, around New York as kind of a testing ground. Wow, but wow. it did it did percolate for these uh, 10 years. And I literally quit my corporate law firm job, raised twenty thousand dollars from a family in the Bay Area and started Democrats work in 2006. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you started it in the Bay Area. So then uh, move us from there and and give us a few details to when you launched the uh, Democrats' work in Colorado. Well, the Bay Area piece is really just proximity because that's where I lived. It wasn't really, the idea was never let's go to Democratic areas and really gild the lily. It was let's go to areas where we need to improve the Democratic brand and increase the visibility of the Democratic Party in these really hard to reach areas. So my co-founder, who was my college roommate, lived in Georgia. Uh, We started doing projects in Georgia. A friend of mine in Arkansas wanted to help. We started doing projects in Arkansas. And then another college friend of ours uh, had recently left her job as a corporate lawyer in Denver and started as basically our Colorado director for Democrats work and really started pushing a more targeted program that was trying to answer the question of, well, what do bake sales have to do with winning elections? Mm -hmm, And that's mm -hmm. how we started really doing a more targeted effort to try to prove that 
community service did have a place in the political arena. And part of our impetus for for being targeted was that at that time, and I know this still to be true, young people were far more willing to engage in community service volunteerism than they were in political volunteerism. And there is a poll that's done every year, a couple times a year by the Harvard Institute of Politics that asks young people, what kind of things do you want to be involved in? And three to four to one, young people will say, I will do community service versus I will volunteer on a political campaign. And so we really saw service as kind of an on-ramp into deeper political hmm. engagement. Mm -hmm. And we thought, well, we have these groups of volunteers that exist, that get activated at campaign time, but what are they doing year round? Right. And how do we actually not only engage those that we have, but how do we build that cohort of people that might actually do kind of the hard political work when it's time for campaigns? How do we get them involved year round in a way that they're interested in being involved right rather than was really taking politics to where they were rather than trying to drag them into our political right endeavors. right i'm going to pause you for a minute to share two two things that that come up the first is that this just feels like deja vu all over again to quote yogi Berra, because the the arguments you're making the realities that you're citing about the studies that show that it's it's virtually the same thing that's been updated in the case we've been making to both politicos and to funders here a decade and a half later. It's amazing to hear you talk about this stuff and remember, remind myself that we didn't come up with these insights or ideas. That's really something. The second thing is, it's really interesting how many of you corporate lawyers end up doing uh, hands-on community service. I guess it's an act of redemption. I don't know. But <laughs> well, or, or uh, a misplaced uh, endeavor in the first place. We, we maybe should never have become corporate lawyers, but the the lure of cash sometimes over overwhelms you. Right, right. Okay, so you had already played this idea out in several different places in Georgia, in in New York City, in Arkansas. You were testing this idea. And I guess we're now up to what, 2006 or so? 2007? So somewhere? 2006 is when I quit to start it and we okay. started doing these. You started um, doing them, okay. Uh, kind of but the pilot project this in Colorado really started in earnest in the fall of 2007. Okay, so frame that up for us with with some detail. Like, you know, exactly what did you set out to do? How did you structure it? All that kind of stuff. And then we'll get to the results. So we really felt that we needed a rigorous study of what the effects would be of a targeted service project on that attitudes of voters in a swing district to try to prove that there was utility in this year-round engagement of visible and tangible service projects that were part of a communications effort to these swing voters and particularly young voters. And I'll just say so, a utility above and beyond the utility of the service itself, which of course is good stuff, right? 
Right. We, we always joke that the worst thing that's going to happen is that a new playground got built. Right. <laughs> even even if this doesn't even if this doesn't magically change our politics, there's still something good coming out of it. So yeah. there was no there was no downside here. Right. So in Colorado, which back in the mid 2000s was still a pretty critical swing state. Obviously, there's been a whole lot written about how it became uh, from a red to a purple to a blue state and all of the infrastructure that was necessary to be to, to make that happen. Uh, we basically found this uh, state Senate district that had gone for Bush and and Cheney and uh, twice and was not quite wasn't wasn't um it was a swing district it wasn't fully red it wasn't fully blue and we took 50 precincts in that state senate district and divided them in half to do a, a randomized controlled experiment where 25 of those precincts were our treatment precincts and 25 were the control and we did 10 community service projects in those treatment districts, precincts, and told voters that we were doing them. So every time there was a service project, we would send postcards or do phone calls to those voters. And in each of the two cohorts, there were 6,000 voters in the treatment and there were 6,000 unaffiliated uh, and Democratic voters in the control precincts. And we were utilizing these service projects as a way to communicate with those voters. And prior to doing that, we did a poll in those two uh, treatment and control areas and asked questions about what are your feelings towards Democrats, do you believe that they share your values? Do they care about people like you? Are you going to vote for, for Democrats? So after we okay. did, essentially, we, we ran this from October of 07 to September of 08, did the pre-polling, did the service projects, and then did polling afterwards. We were able to measure whether there are any differences in attitudes between the treatment group and the control group. Okay, now I want to. Um, I don't want you to get to the punchline quite yet. I've still got some questions, and I and I want a little more information. So, first off, are you saying that you managed to pull off ten distinct service projects in each of the twenty-five counties? So, two hundred fifty, or did no, some of the service so these, projects cross the the precincts? It was ten total okay. in the area of those precincts. I got precincts you. aren't that large, right? right? So we so we we're only we were only doing service in those precincts, but we were also only communicating with the people about those projects okay. in those treatment precincts. And so it was very it was targeted both uh, for the service itself and then the communication with the households in those precincts. Okay, okay. So that, yeah, that seems much more plausible. And then that list of voters that in the treatment counties where you did the service, was that across the spectrum or was it strictly um, sort of persuadables, unaffiliateds, or what was the, the voter mix? We had both Democratic households and unaffiliated households. This was not targeted at Republican households. Okay, all righty, okay. 
Let's see. Then another question is, give us one, two, three examples of what you mean by service projects. What did you do? So it was a full range of activities. We did tree plantings. We did cleanups after a a storm. We cleaned trails after the snow season. We painted homes for senior citizens, blood drive, door-to-door conversations with people about foreclosure prevention. Mm. So it was a, a range of kind of visible traditional service where you might see an end product and then also a bit more interactive with with more uh, personal more personal yeah. yeah interesting that's a great mix of projects did you try to get media attention at the same time beyond your postcards to voters so we were conscious of trying not to get media about it uh, as okay. to not taint the control group in other times and when we weren't doing this specific experiment media coverage was a, was a huge part of what we were trying to do we okay. weren't trying to hide our light under a bushel when it mm-hmm. came to doing these projects for the most part when we were doing this experiment that's a little different but there are incredible clips from the work that we did in a bunch of different areas mm. from radio tv local newspapers and often it would just be a big picture of a group of people wearing blue democrats work t-shirts that looks like the men at work sign and the trees they were planting at the playground that they had built and in your small newspaper, hometown newspaper, you would just see a big photo of Democrats doing something tangible in your community. We have amazing clips uh, from uh, KARK in Little Rock of work that we did with Habitat for Humanity. You know, this this generally was an approach that had a communications element to it mm-hmm. and that earned media was a huge part of what we were trying to get because it really did matter that these were visible, tangible, and something that folks could see, even if they hadn't participated in the project. Right. And in the case of the pilot project where you were testing the notion, the concern about media there was that really it was in most cases would be the same media would overlap both the targeted intervention counties and the control counties, right? Yes, these yeah. all would have been in the Denver media market. They yes. would have seen seen. Yeah. You, you just couldn't control it in sure. the same in sure, the same sure. way that you could if you were saying, "Here's a postcard." So, in it went, our treatment in this experiment really was the postcards or the phone calls that we would make into those targeted households. So you would get kind of an oversized postcard that would be the picture of our volunteers in their t-shirts saying this playground was built in your neighborhood or join us next month when we do gift wrapping at the holidays. Uh, That was our way of communicating. We weren't really actually trying to necessarily recruit volunteers, although people could come and, and do it. We were partnering with young Democrats and the county party, et cetera, to, yeah. to, to get that cohort of volunteers. Uh, but we did try different kind of communication strategies of afterwards, we would tell you about it or beforehand, we would we would recruit volunteers. Right. Uh, uh, but but making sure that we were only communicating with that treatment group was required for the fidelity of the experiment. Right, right. And all of the work was non-political. It was it was concrete, local 
essentially non-political. Yes. Yeah, so we would, as part of this whole model. We I guess were, what I'm saying, in other words, you you and your volunteers were were neither trying to register voters or sway them, nor were they proselytizing for the Democrats or anybody else. That's right. Yeah. We were essentially partnering with nonprofit organizations to say, hey, do you need some volunteers on on Saturday? We have a group that can come and help you Habitat for Humanity or help you Senior Center or help you Parks Department. It was very much non-political. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay, I've made you wait long enough. So the punchline, and it's a hell of a punchline, is that you did a poll at the end of this process in just one year, and the results were pretty amazing. So tell us what you found. I think there was two or three different indicators of thinking and feeling about Democrats that moved. Tell us tell us what you found. So we found this to be most promising with young voters and unaffiliated young voters in particular. So as I mentioned in our poll, what we were trying to get at was people's attitudes and feelings and ultimately vote intentionality of these different cohorts of people. So the differences between that voters in that treatment group and voters in the control group who got nothing about what we're doing were, were really quite striking in a few measures. So we had a question in the poll of sort of a one to 10 scale of how do you feel towards the Democrats, kind of a traditional mm-hmm. warmth measure, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the difference in the attitudes between the treatment and the control groups, we saw a one, 1. 1.6 uh, points more warm, warmer among all young voters. And then those unaffiliated young voters who didn't identify as Democrats, it was 2.6 points warmer. So does that that, moving up the scale? So that doesn't sound like much, but you're saying 2.6 on a scale to 10, right? That's right. So it's it's almost equivalent to like a 26% shift. Am I getting that right? That's right. That's right. And then when you ask people, do Democrats care about me, it was 10 percentage points higher with all young voters and 20 percentage points higher in that treatment group over the control group. And feeling that Democrats share my values, 30 percentage points higher among all young voters and 40 percentage points among those unaffiliated young voters. And then really, I think ultimately answering this question of, what do bake sales have to do with winning elections? We ask people, are you more likely to vote for a Democrat? Or will you vote for a Democrat? And those young, all young voters in those treatment groups were 20 percentage points uh, higher than in the control group in saying, I will vote for Democrats. And those unaffiliated young voters were 30 percentage points higher. So put it another way, if you had 100 young unaffiliated voters who would normally split their votes 50-50 for Democrats and Republicans, the implementation of this service program would cause those vote totals to shift to 65 for the Democrats and 35 for the Republicans. I mean, this this isn't like little teeny tiny margins at the edge, which is what most people are 
aspiring to nowadays, like to like to gain two percentage points in positive feelings or votes. And you're talking about a dramatic shift. And and the vote thing, it's really helpful to know. It's so important to know that it isn't just the vote, which people vote, you know, sometimes impetuously or just for different motivations. But it's part of three or four different ways that you clearly move the needle with these service projects, with these unaffiliated voters. They, they felt better about Democrats. They felt Democrats shared their values more. So it isn't just voting. Those, are, those other things seem to me almost more durable in a sense, those, those shifts. So it's really quite remarkable. I think you're totally right about the durability piece, too, because it does matter that you get young people to start voting at a young age. And we know from all of the empirical data and experiments that have been run in a whole host of ways that once you create a voter, they are a voter for life. And you're largely not seeing shifts down the line Mm -hmm. of their affiliation. So if you can create young Democratic voters Uh, at an early age, you are going to create a reliable voting block that matters not just at the top of the ticket, but as you well know, this is what really matters as you go down the line. And I think that's part of what we always thought was critical about the branding of this project is doing it as Democrats Mm -hmm. was important in part because a lot of times what voters of all ages know about a candidate, particularly a candidate that is pretty far down the ballot, is the letter after their name. Right. And if that D is meaningless at best and there's hostility at worst, uh, at worst then you're really you're you're just going to be in a in a world of hurt and you're going to have to spend a lot of money to try to make up that make up those differences where a small amount of investment in almost non-political activity could really reap benefits that you're just not going to be able to make up in a two or three or six month campaign. Right, right, right. And if we have time, we'll talk a little bit, although um, our prior two segments on Community Works went into this a bit, but about why we're taking a slightly different tact with Community Works, including the name Community Works rather than Democrats Works, Democrat Works. But um, right now, what I want to find out is my understanding is that you completed the experiment, you had these startling, encouraging results, but you didn't continue it. How come? What happened? Well, as I mentioned, we raised $20,000 and I quit my job to start this endeavor. Over the course of the few years that we were doing this, we we ended up raising hundreds of thousands of dollars. And obviously this experiment was expensive. There was polling, there was communications, et cetera. But you know, at some point it really felt like what we were trying to do, particularly with this pilot project, was to prove that this has a place in our political engagement. And in 2008, you may recall, President Obama got elected with millions of volunteers who were energized in new ways and in new areas that we looked at it and said, what are we doing with all these people? There's not going to be another Obama campaign for another four years. Uh, We recognize that there is 
both an affinity that is unique to him, but also it's young people who we already know care a lot about politics. So my goal was never to start an extra organization that went on in perpetuity, but rather to demonstrate to the party at all levels, the National Democratic Party, the state parties, and the county parties, that this is something that should just be part of what they do Mm. as a political Mm. party, that the scope of what we think about as volunteer engagement, community engagement, has to expand beyond running campaigns in the fall of even years, that this has to be a year-round project. And we believed that you could make the Democratic Party the largest source of volunteers in the country, and that there could be partnerships across the country with nonprofits and other organizations that needed people. And they would think to themselves, Oh, call the Democrats. They always have people that can help. (laughs) And so we had a lot of great conversations with a lot of state parties and many of whom do this at at various levels and have, we're doing it when we were were trying to help kind of provide this idea in a box to them. Mm -hmm. Many of them carried it on. And we had a lot of conversations with the Democratic Party post President Obama's election to just say, here, here's what we learned. Here's how we did it. This is something that you need to take on. And there was, I believe, philosophical agreement, if not total operational commitment. And we saw that when they kicked off the push for what became Obamacare, they kicked off that whole campaign with a day of service that they had adopted this model and thought that there was some utility to it but like a lot of things and there were issues between what are we doing with the obama volunteers and they created obama for america as a separate part of, uh, apart from the democratic party and some of those kind of tensions and issues, I think, just made it hard for them to operationalize in a really meaningful way. And we couldn't carry on doing this. We felt like we had done our level best to show that this is a real thing and that others needed to pick up the mantle and and really to varying degrees. And since we're still talking about it 15 years later, (laughs) clearly not to a comprehensive, uh, scalable way that... We, that uh, this hasn't quite been adopted. Right. So you gave them you gave them both the proof and and very profound and convincing proof, and you gave them the toolkit or the template so that they didn't have to really create much of anything. Maybe adapt it a little bit here and there, but it seems like possibly, and we're we're about out of time. It seems like possibly another thing was just that, as intuitive as this is, as much as the notion that one of the fundamental functions of a political party is to help people in their local places. It's really kind of a radically divergent thought from the modern kind of deep Washington, deep state capital political people. Seems to me. I mean, it's just like it seems trivial. It seems beside the point, uh, you know, whatever. So I, I, I would think that besides the other things you mentioned, 
it it was maybe just a hard sell to some of the people that might have taken it and run it up the flagpole. I think we're still really wrestling with that question that was posed to Mike McCurry in the late 80s is what what do bake sales have to do with winning elections? And so if you go to hardcore political people, I think that's going to be their orientation. And I and you, you you might have to just keep proving that it has something to do with winning elections. And as I said, the worst thing that's going to happen is that a group of Democrats went and did something good for their community. So uh, there's really no no downside to it. And and I I would always ask what what are we doing with these people in March right. of of an odd year? Like right. these are folks that demonstrated their interest. They had both a political bent and a service bent that isn't those muscles aren't going to get utilized for another eighteen months. Right. Surely there is something here that we should be doing with people just from a straight up organizing perspective, putting aside all the potential political benefits. But it it just seems kind of rudimentary that you wouldn't just let your uh, let all of this excitement dissipate and then try to regenerate it. Right, right, right. 18 months later. Not to mention that if you're if your driving purpose is to win elections. And you're talking about vast swaths of the country where your party's gone from 52, 53, down to 47, down to 41, down to 30. And in some parts of where I am, 20 percent of the vote, you would think that maybe we need a new strategy that might help us win elections. <laughs> it's, it's clear it's, that whatever we're doing right now is not working. Yeah, so this, this is not a very radical new uh, concept. No. And, and that's when, when we started this, and I'm sure you've seen this too in your research and, and, and building this idea yet again, is that this isn't this isn't new. This isn't something that has been outside of what political parties, both in the U.S. and around the world, do. Right. Tammany Hall used to give people turkeys at Thanksgiving. Right. I mean, this isn't this isn't um, kind of wildly outside of the scope of what what generally happens. But right. I think it is radical for people who just think that winning in politics means a really awesome ad that runs in October. <laughs> Yeah. So we need to, this has been fantastic. I'm so glad we uh, we were able to connect for this, Thomas. Let me ask you to wrap up and uh, as short and sweet as you can with a really tough question. In the 15 years since you successfully proved this concept and during that time which Ruby came to be a couple of years ago and is now, among many other things, uh, launched something very, very similar called Community Works, in that period of time, things have gotten way worse. Counties that were sort of swing, many of them have now become just overwhelmingly either R or D, in my world, R. And not only that, but the intensity of the mistrust and the dislike has grown, I think, by leaps and bounds. So it's, a, it's even more need for this approach, but it seems like a tougher task ahead of us. What do you think? Do you, do you think it can still work even in this crazy political and social moment we're in? I really do think it can work. And I think it can work for a couple of reasons. I think part of what is lost when you are in this deeply polarized environment is this idea that there are other people out there like me and that part of what 
this type of approach can bring, particularly in those counties and areas where it feels like there aren't any Democrats, at least visibly, that it brings an esprit de corps mm. and a community for people to feel more comfortable and confident in what can often feel like hostile territory. Mm. And that this kind of banding together, I think, is a really important first step in making people feel like they can engage in their communities where the terrain and environment and ecosystem might not feel all that great. Yeah. So I think that's a really important kind of personal part of mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I think related to that is this idea that the more visible you are, there is an opportunity to start changing hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. If people only see Democrats as people in DC that they don't agree with, the urban areas that they think are out of control or, or are not reflective of their values, then we're just going to keep going down this spiral. Right. And I think that part of what this type of approach does is really kind of open up the possibility that there are people that share my values, that are my neighbors, that are Democrats, that there's not just a, a boogeyman out there that is uh, coming to do things to me that I don't want, but no, it's, it's, it's Anthony. It's okay. You yeah, know, it's yeah. going to be. Um, so I think I, to me, I've only become more convinced that this type of approach is necessary because I think that the alternative of continuing down the path that we're on or asking people to do really hard things. Like it's, it seems pretty evident that, would it be easier for me to ask a volunteer to come build a playground or go door to door to talk about the Democratic Party platform? Right. What do you think they'd be more interested right. in doing right, right, right. As, an, as an initial matter? And I think that part of it is just kind of so foundational for creating trust, for a demonstration of shared values that you might be able to go have those conversations. We always, you know, pollsters and political consultants are always talking about kind of the permission structure that must exist for people to, to do something they might not have the affinity to do in, in the first place. And if we want people to vote for Democrats and vote for Democratic candidates and identify it as Democrats, we need to start building something that isn't just hey, you need to agree with me on, on this 10-point plan, but rather, hey, we, we come from the same place. We come from uh, the same values. We go to church together. Right. We're both helping support the why, whatever whatever it looks like. Right. It, just, it just needs to change. Right. And I thought that in 1996. I still feel that in 2023, but I do think the need is far more acute. Right, right. And, you know, and it'll probably take longer to do, to have the kinds of results that you had, I think is, which is why we've structured Community Works as a two-year pilot, to give it a little more time for these relationships to build and trust to build. But nevertheless, you know, I, it occurs to me that it's so ironic that 
so many rural people, rural and small town people, feel, as Arlie Hochschild put it in her book, strangers in their own land. They feel like they don't fit. People don't like them. People despise them. People, you know, don't like their values, the way they dress, the way they eat, blah, 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 all, all of which has, you know, strong elements of truth to it. And simultaneously, there's these progressives and liberals and Democrats living in those communities who feel the same way, but for different reasons. They also feel alienated. They also feel like they don't fit in, that they're misfits. And here we are, instead of kind of bringing people together, not around words, but around deeds. You know, that would be, I think, the real transformation. So anyway, this has been fantastic. It's super, super hopeful. And I think besides having you back on the show when we two years from now, when we hopefully have evidence at least a little bit like the evidence you accumulated, I'll be in touch with you and, in fact, probably ask you to spend a little time with some of our local community works coordinators who I think would really be inspired by your story. So, Thomas. It would be an honor. Thank you so much for being on Two Worlds, One Country, a show on WEHC and WISEYS FM. I'm Anthony Flacavento, your host, and this has been Two Worlds, One Country.